the Gab Talks by the Independent Press Award. I'm your hostess, Gabby Olzak. Today, we will be speaking with Cheryl Lafferty Echo, author of Reflections on Ineffable Love, winner of the 2022 New York City Big Book Award in Death and Dying. Her 15 award-winning books span numerous genres, including memoir, personal growth, inspirational poetry, and spiritual romance novels. Cheryl, a mystical writer and storyteller, hails from Montana, where she's a life coach and hosts grief retreats and workshops. Congratulations, Cheryl, and welcome to The Gab. Thank you so much, Gabby. It's an honor to be here. I really appreciate the interview and the award. Thank you. Well, congratulations again. So Cheryl, let's get right into it. Um, You have worn many, many hats in your life. Uh, Singer, actress, executive assistant, professional development trainer, life coach. What's the common thread here? And uh, what inspired you to become an author after all of that? Well, I think the common thread for all of the uh, different occupations that I've held has been helping people become who they really are. Um, You know, I guess we say we teach what we need to learn. And that has certainly been my life goal is to find out how to be the authentic me. And so what really got me into writing was uh, the authentic me losing my authentic love of my life, my husband, Stephen. Uh, He was diagnosed with colon cancer in 2004, and it came back in 2006. And right after that, I had a vision that he was going to go on because he was finished. But my job was to stay and tell the story. So I had already been journaling. I had already I had always done a lot of writing, but more for business than ever thought I could write a book. Um, So I started making sure that I wrote down every single thing that could happen as it did. And all of those journals then became the source of my first book, my memoir, A Beautiful Death. And after that, the books just kept coming. Um, I had more to say. I got a blog on psychology today, and that turned into a book. And then I just kept writing. And the different genres became sort of expressions of, I guess, uh, phases that I needed for my own healing, for my own exploration, and for the development of my voice as a writer. Um, well, they uh, they definitely do span, uh, you know, all different genres. And I can see that through your writing that it, it certainly must have been very uh, therapeutic for you, as I know mm-hmm. as a writer, it, it certainly is. So Cheryl, you're, you're talking about your husband, Stephen, uh, when you say, um, this is the path of ineffable love. I'm blessed to walk with my beloved's presence alive in my heart. That's beautiful. Um, what, what's the meaning of ineffable love? Well, ineffable is sort of the indescribable. Uh, People will use ineffable to describe, for example, a peak experience, some kind of a mystical experience that is really beyond words. Um, It's it's almost otherworldly. And I guess that's sort of the experience, certainly, that we had toward the end of Stephen's life. And that is a part of my ongoing communion with him, um, really feeling him in my heart is that there, there's an essence, a spirituality, a connection that you can 
you can talk around it. You can, you know, I guess poetry gets as close as anything of being able to describe the sense of, of being full of love and enfolded in love. Um, that's about as close as I can get to ineffable. Yeah, I mean, that 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 definitely aptly describes it. You know, you, you talk about the, the mysticism in the world. Collectively, as a world, we're experiencing so much loss and grief in, in a lot of different ways, personally, with natural disasters. Um, it's really hard for some of us, um, most of us, I think, to see that light at the end of the tunnel when we're in the depths of despair. Yeah. What are those, what are the most important steps from grief to joy that maybe you, Cheryl, have experienced yourself that you can impart to our listeners and to your readers? Well, I think one of the things that is most important to understand about any kind of a loss, where it's a beloved person, a pet, a marriage, a job, um, a house. I mean, people have lost their homes in fires and hurricanes. Any kind of a really dramatic life-altering loss like that, the the real devastation is to our sense of identity. Because who we were, for example, in the relation to that beloved person, or even that pet, certainly our job, our home. I know I have a friend who is doing counseling for people who lost a ranch that had been in their family for five generations. Wow, it's such, such an important part of one's identity that what a lot of what we're doing in our grief is we miss the other person for sure. And we also miss that part of us that went with them, that also died in, in that loss. I know I, I've said that um, I was more or less prepared for Stephen to eventually um, leave this world because we knew his cancer was terminal and he was sick for four and a half years. But what I wasn't really prepared for was how much of me went with him. I used to talk about feeling like I had an amputated heart. And so it took me a couple of years to really rebuild that heart. And part of it, there's a, there's a couple of pieces to it. So one of it was discovering my own creative essence, which is what um, writing has done for me. And the other part was incorporating that essence of Stephen, that as long as he was here and even in a coma, he was still carrying that essence of himself. But once he left, he took that with him. So, so one of the things that I did to help me recapture that sense of identity that I've recommended to other people was I created a collage with pictures of Stephen from different uh, periods of his life, pictures of the two of us. And I hung it up in my dressing area where I could see it, I looked at it, and I actually made a practice every morning of sort of walking around in my mind of all those different images until I would feel a certain spark of that image actually going into my heart. And I left that collage up for three years. Wow. Yeah, I know. I didn't, I just, I, you know, it was like it was just part, and I would just focus on it, not with an idea of, oh, I'm creating a, um, a shrine to my husband, but more of just focusing, focusing on what was the essence that each one of those images captured. Maybe it was a, an event, a time in our lives. And so after three years, I realized that I had internalized 
all of those images. So I put them away in a scrapbook, but I didn't have to look at them anymore. And I actually can still call those images up in my mind. So that was part of it, was, was reestablishing the link of the love that, yes, it went on to other realms, which I've discovered. Um, you know, Stephen is very still is still very much present in that, but reestablishing the reality of the love in the present. So it wasn't a past or a loss. It was just different. Is that what you mean when you say love is not only stronger than death, but love transcends death? Is that part of it? Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. It transcends it. And so I think whatever kind of, of tools or techniques that we have, that's probably one of the most important is to realize that um, we, can, we can recapture in a different way the eternality of our love, that love never dies, no matter the difference of the person. The other thing that I think works really well, especially, you know, during COVID, so many people were not able to be with their loved ones as they were dying. Um, you know, they got love difficult. Yes. Never. And so they never, they never got that sense of, of completion. I don't talk about closure because that's like closing the door, you know, but for me, it's a matter of completion of completing a certain cycle so that you you don't feel like you know dangling um, unfinished parts of yourself, almost like pieces of your soul are stuck someplace. So one of the things that you can do that I have done, and that again I've recommended to people, is write a letter, write a letter to your to your loved one, and say the things you never got to say. And you know even if we were with our beloved when they passed on, there's still things we think about. Um, oh, golly, I wish I had said that. Well, you can still say it. Write it in a letter or a series of letters. Um, burn, carefully burn the letter. And, you know, it's like visualize the, the smoke carrying your message up to heaven. I know they get their mail up there. <laughs> you know? For sure. You know, those are those are really great tools, the collage and the the letter. I, I love that. I know our listeners will will love it as well. So tell us about um Cheryl, the wise inner counsel. You talk about that a lot. Um, the voice of your true self. How does that relate to loss and grief? Uh the wise inner counselor, which is really it's the term that I coined for that inner voice, the still small voice. Some people call it your conscience, your intuition. It is the voice of love that is the, the essence of our true self. Um, that is your best friend. And that inner voice uh, I have discovered is really the guide and it's the guard and, and it's, the, it's the essence of that truth that we're trying to find. So the wise inner counselor is really the best guide through loss, through grief, to reach joy. Um, and I found that in a number of ways. I found it in my writing, but I also found it in storytelling. Um, you know, it's an interesting thing of how people are really, uh, um, not I don't want to say obsessive, but it's really important to be able to tell the story of your loss. And I think, what that happens when your intention is resolution, not just you know revolving the woes of your past, is 
you start tapping into this inner wisdom. And as you're telling the story or writing the story or writing the letter, this voice of inner wisdom starts revealing to you um, whys and wherefores. And like you were talking about the light at the end of the tunnel, mm -hmm. Starts actually revealing as you follow the process of your grief, what that light is. You know, we it, it's a, a tendency to want to just go from the pain of here and just jump to you know the new me, and you can't do that. It's a process. But the wise inner counselor is actually what guides the process. So for me, it's it's listening, it's developing that sense of listening grace that um you know rather than paying attention to the 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 wants so much you know i want this i want that i don't like this i don't like this i don't like my life you know i wish this pain would end is to somehow find a way to to sit in that listening grace and sometimes music can help going out into nature moving your body is really important um, whatever it is, it sort of puts you in that um, that listening space, that receptive, that receptive space. If we can go receptive and even, even being accepting of the fact that we have suffered this loss, the wise inner counselor speaks in that space. And, and this is um, also part of what you're you're talking about in the book that loss is for learning. And, and we're learning through this wise inner counsel of ours. And also that grief is our is for our transformation. Does that also tie into the wise inner counsel? It sounds like it does. Yeah, yeah. The wise inner counselor is involved in, in every part of it, every single part of it. And when we really follow the, the wisdom of grief, which is not an easy thing to do, but if we can stay more in an idea of, okay, this is hard and I've never gone through anything like this because grief feels so primal. You know, it's, we're not used to this. We're very modern, you know. Um, but the wise inner counselor is like, follow me and, and I'll show you, I'll, I'll enfold you in the love that is my essence. And at the bottom of grief, when you go all the way in, is joy. Yeah, but you have to, you really do have to go all the way in and you have to be aware of that from yeah. the start. You really do. So so I understand, Cheryl, that you, you've been traveling since you're a child with your family on your own. Um, tell us about your pilgrimages to Ireland and what the most powerful or compelling thing is that you've discovered through these pilgrimages and journeys. Well, I am... Um... And you know, why Ireland? Why Ireland? Well, I've always known my my soul was Irish. Okay. Um, yeah, I I don't know. Since I was a tiny tiny child, I would tell my parents that my soul was Irish. Well, are you are you from Irish descendants or? I am. Yeah, Lafferty is actually the maiden name of my father's mother. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I always I I hadn't I didn't know the Lafferty's when I was growing up. I didn't meet them until I was in my late thirties. Wow. When I did, I went, okay, there's the gene pool. Wow, <laughs> now, you knew it. You you knew you knew you were related. I knew I was related. Yeah, yeah. They they were they were definitely my people. So when I started writing and realizing that this was going to be a career, I thought, you know, 
Lafferty is part of my identity. Um, so I've I've always been drawn to Ireland, and I've been fortunate to go on on I think I've been five five or six times five wow. or six. So the what I talk about Ireland is what I call the thin places. Um, you know, there's a mystique about Ireland. There is a there's a tradition. There is a, an intimacy with spirit that uh, exists other places in the world. I mean, you know, uh, there there are a lot of thin places. I mean, your heart is a thin place, for example. Um, but there's a mystique and a, and a mystery and a history and an antiquity about Ireland. And, you know, it's known as the land of poets and saints and sages. Yes, uh, you know, a lot of famous writers have come from there. And so going there, especially um, the tours I've gone on, have all been with people who are from there. And several of them have been people who actually speak Irish. So it's been a really enfoldment in the culture. And every time I've gone, it awakens poetry. You know, there's something about walking out on the land that awakens that poetic sense for me, which is also part of what I've discovered um, has helped me go all the way into my grief. Because that's the, I have, I have a friend um, that I've gone on tours with to Ireland. And she says, you know, you can't be in the West of Ireland for very long without the subject of death coming up. There's There has been so much loss in Ireland that there's a familiarity with death and a willingness to talk about it, at least the, for the people that I've known, that makes that conversation one that is, is intimate and it's um, universal at the same time. And, and it allows you to go right in, right into grief and discover um, new areas of healing and new areas of blessing that I think the, the Irish and certainly the Irish language um, carries. It does have a certain uh, mysticism about it, for sure. Um, what, what is the, your favorite piece that you were inspired to write after a pilgrimage to Ireland? Oh, um, it was one on, on beauty. Actually, it's in the book. Do you want me to read it to you? I would love it. Yes. Okay, let me find it. I'm going to put in my glasses here. Yeah, and it's not long, but it's called Beauty. And it was written. Um, and how long have you been writing poetry, Cheryl? There it is. Um, I've been writing poetry since um, really officially since about 2015. Um, so and after, after the pass, after Stephen's passing. After Stephen's passing. And interesting, um, when I really started writing poetry was after my mother passed away. And um, and you were her caregiver for a while. Caregiver. I'm an only child. And yeah. so, you know, I was very close to my mother. And it was, um, I've always said I was glad that I wrote a beautiful death about Stephen's death before my mother died, because her death was anything but beautiful. It was very difficult. And uh, after she died, uh, I, I didn't write anything for 14 months. The only thing I could do was travel. I had to just keep moving. But I had I had returned home in early 2015, and a friend told me, she said, did you know that April is write a poem a day month, which I didn't know. And is, I thought, is that, is that every April? Is that a fact? Yeah, really? it's like, like a thing. Wow, um, that's great to know. 
I know, I know. So I said, well, I think I'll try. And I did. I started writing a poem every day. <clears throat> and I wrote a poem every day in April and in May and in June. Wow. By July, I realized I had enough poems for two full books. And so my team and I published them. And then another book emerged um, in early 2016. So that was the real big um, poetry phase. And then since then, I've written two other books of poetry. And even my my spiritual romance novels have a lot of poetry in them. That's wonderful. So, so share, share your piece that you wrote while you were in Ireland with us, please. And this was in a day <clears throat> with other writers. Um, out in the lush green. So this is called Beauty, written in the lush green fields of Ireland. Beauty floats on the breeze of spirit's presence. She flies up on angel wings, spreading dew drops of perfection to quicken the hearts of all who will receive her gifts with gladness. She bonds her place and all who live with stories of the past giving courage for today and blessings for tomorrow. The telling is her treasure. Ears feel beauty as her voice tickles their inward parts, as bodies rest easy in the green grass where beauty's delicate bare feet have cleared a path and fairies hold up firefly lanterns to light the way. That's beautiful. Wow. Thank you for sharing it with us. Um, I am going to make my way to Ireland one of these days. It's definitely on my bucket list for sure. For sure. Um, yeah. Cheryl, let's get back to, um, to Stephen. You wrote a chapter on soulmates and twin flames. Right. Tell us the difference between the two and the importance of each of them. Okay. Um, Soulmates is probably the, the term that people are most familiar with. And the difference is we can have uh, many soulmates throughout our life. As a matter of fact, we probably do. And these are people with whom we feel a particular affinity. Um, a lot of times it's common interests. We may even be involved in a, a common project or uh, even a sense of mission. Um, this, the twin flame, we only have one twin flame. And the teaching on that, which uh, Plato actually mentions, is that in the beginning of our soul's evolution, we were created as a single ovoid of light, of light substance of consciousness, if you will. And sort of like a cell divides, that single ovoid divided into two halves, like the Tai Chi of yin and yang, of plus and minus, masculine and feminine. And so that single soul creation divided into two souls. And those two souls went out into the matter universe to master time and space and to master not only the masculine and the feminine, but the, the feminine and the masculine for each. So, um, this, this really goes along with the idea of reincarnation, that over many lifetimes, we have lived as both masculine and feminine. And there may be a predominance, there probably is, um, 
but that twin flame is literally the other half of our soul. And it's why even if we're in a soulmate relationship, for example, we may still feel this longing as if there's there's part of us missing. And indeed there is. So the, the goal is for twin flames to unite and go back to their source, no longer as two halves, but as two wholes united into a greater whole. The challenge is that because twin flames may have been separate for quite a while, um, we may not even meet our twin flame in this life. I mean, the fact that Stephen and I met and married and knew we were twin flames is actually somewhat unusual. Um, because the twin flames may have actually created karma with each other and have become so different that when they do get together, if they do in this lifetime, they may not even like each other. I actually How do know, you know. How do you know that that's your twin flame? Well, a lot of times you actually don't. It's one of those things that you can't really come at it directly. It's almost like effects, uh, you know, you kind of have to look at it from the side. And in a way, it doesn't really matter because what's important is that you treat every relationship, especially every love relationship, as if the other person were your twin flame. Mm -hmm. Because that givingness, that 100% givingness and, and determination to help the other person make it you know, help them discover their true self and be who they really are and and uh, finally uh, be able to get out of this world into the, into the realm of spirit. If we treat every love relationship that way, it accrues to the twin flame because it's possible that our twin flame is not even an embodiment in this, in this mm -hmm. century, you know, or they, they may not be available for us to, to marry, to be with. So, Rather than focusing and, you know, uh, meeting, meeting your twin flame in every new relationship, you know, right. um, treat, treat it as if you're really holding that identity that is yourself in your heart and doing everything you can to, to bless and heal that, that essence, because you do share the same soul blueprint, and so one way to attract your twin flame, if that's possible, either in, in embodiment or in spirit, is the more you become your true self, the more like the true self of your twin flame you are. Because at a soul level, you've got the same, the same snowflake identity, right? There's no other soul in this universe that has the same soul identity blueprint, original, original pattern as you do. So if you want to know your twin flame, um, become who you are, who you really are. Know thyself. Know thyself, right? Yes. Because yes. in knowing thyself, you also know the other half of thyself. So very true. So Cheryl, what are your hopes for readers of reflections and any of your work, your poetry, anything that you've written, what, what are your hopes for us? Well, I guess the, the bottom line hope is that readers and listeners to this program will um, 
gain a, a curiosity uh, and, and a real determination uh, to uh, develop a relationship with the wise inner counselor, whatever you call it, you know, with your faith tradition or lack of a faith tradition, whatever that sense of sacredness is in your heart, that's my greatest hope is that you will you will find that you will develop it and you will realize that living in consonance with the inner guidance of your wise inner counselor is the way to a fulfilling, abundant, real, authentic life. So that's that's the first thing. Um, certainly for readers of Ineffable Love, my hope is that it will help you perhaps start the conversation about the end of life, which a lot of people do not want to talk about. Um, it will help explain it. Um, I recently had a, a reader tell me that she read Ineffable Love and she said, you know, it dissolved my fear of death hmm. and come back. Um, that that so was my next question. It is a very delicate subject and um, people often don't want to talk about it. And how have your readers reacted to your work? They've been very positive about it. And what I've found as I've traveled um, is that the universe has a way of sending me people who have suffered loss, which mm -hmm. when you think about it, it's all of us. And what I've discovered is that people do actually want to talk about death, but to someone who's not involved in their immediate circumstance. So, uh, you know, as soon as I talk about the fact that, you know, I lost my husband and I've been writing about it, they'll tell me a story. And, and that's what I have found is that um, people that read my work, um, because there's there's always this, this sort of stream of consciousness, this sort of thread about loss and love and inner guidance, is that um, people start telling me their stories. And in the process, they start healing themselves because the story, it really is a mechanism for healing. And that's what I found from a lot of my readers. And, you know, the other thing is, it's like you've you've given me things to think about. And I've had a number of people call me and say, you know, um, I read your book and it reminded me of events in my life that I had actually forgotten. I don't know if I repressed it, if it was too painful or what, but can you talk to me about it? I, I would like to have your perspective on what happened to me. Hmm. That's, that's, that's wonderful. That must be a really satisfying thing to be able to help someone and let them really see themselves for who they truly are and to start with that grief process, that yeah. transformation. What's the one word, Cheryl, in closing that you can think of that we should all focus on when we are in um, the deepest throes of grief? What's that one word you'd like us to focus on? Process. process follow the stream you know we tend to think of coping you know it's like i'll just cope with this grief and get through it i looked up the word coping and it actually means to resist hmm. so when we are in grief grief is very wise because it is an aspect of our own inner wisdom and so if you can stay in process stay in the flow um, grief will carry you there. That aspect of your own wise inner counselor that, that knows how to do grief, it'll take you there. So listen, 
listen for the process and follow the flow of it. Thank you so much. So Cheryl, how can our listeners find out more about you and your work? They can go to my website, which is www.cherylecole.com. And all of my books are there. Um, all of the information about me is there. I'm also on Facebook, um, but the best place is the website because there are descriptions of all the different books and um, some uh, information about why a certain book might appeal to a certain person. Wonderful. Cheryl, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your wisdom. It was really a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you too, Gabby. And uh, great questions. I always, I love doing interviews because I love to see what people are interested in. So thank you so very much. Thank you. And listeners, our next podcast, we meet with Judy Kelly, author of Attractiveness of Wisdom. This is Gabby Olzak of The Gap Talks. Until next time, keep on reading.